My name is Lisa Moore, and this is State of the Arts. State of the Arts at Memorial Humanities and Social Sciences. Analysis whip smart and professorial smart. People talk about what they know best. Listen to Lisa as she brings them all together, and we try to figure out how to live together better with fat stacks of research found to impress. So let's talk about the faculty of HSS. Welcome to State of the Arts, a podcast exploring the humanities and social sciences, broadcasting from Memorial University in St. John's, Newfoundland. I'm Lisa Moore, and I'm a writer, visual artist, and an associate professor in Memorial's English department. I talk to faculty members about the critical role of their work in understanding our changing world and the practices of living together well. Hi, everybody. Welcome to State of the Arts and our new theme song by none other than Newfoundland treasure, Sean Panting. We love it and we hope you do too. Janet Heron, our producer, has just been singing it day and night. Um, thank you to everybody at CITL, Mark Shallow, um, for, for having us here. Um, we're kicking off our first show in 2019. We have that new theme song and um, we're uh, going to be exploring here the Humanities and Social Sciences at Memorial University in Newfoundland. Uh, we're going to chat with, we chat with a variety of faculty members about their work and how issues addressed through their teaching and research are critical to our understanding of a changing world. My name is Lisa Moore and I'm a writer and visual artist and an associate professor in Memorial's English department. And today I'm very pleased to introduce our guest, my colleague, Jamie Skidmore. Jamie has been working in theater and video production for almost 30 years and is a multiple award-winning designer, director, technician, and educator. And he's designed for theater across the country for RCA Theater, Artistic Fraud of Newfoundland, and many more. He's a full professor in Memorial's English department and also the coordinator of the diploma program in stage and screen technique. And Jamie came to Memorial in 2003 from Vancouver, where he lectured in UBC's theater department. He holds a PhD and MA in drama from the University of Toronto. And, um, and thank you, uh, Jamie, for being here. And I got to ask you, so you were at UBC and um, you were, you could have been, you were in that gentle Pacific Ocean, and you could have been all, you know, done out in Lululemon, but you came across the country to uh, the other rough ocean and uh, settled down in Memorial. Why did that happen? When I was in Vancouver, uh, there was the uh, a huge ch children's festival, the Milk Festival, and I went and I saw a show by Newfoundland director Jill Kiley called Jack Five O. And uh, it was a bunch of uh, Jack stories, uh, which uh, coincidentally, I'm directing a version of that this year. And I went to see it and it was brilliant. You know, anyone who knows Jill Kiley's work from Artistic Crowd of Newfoundland knows that it's really world-class theater. So I went to see that 
I was very impressed. I thought, you know, this is the sort of theater I would like to continue to make. And I, uh, there's a job opening at Munn. And I went uh, to all of the theater sites in St. John's that were online at the time. And I, I took a look at the work that was being made. But specifically, I was looking in the background and sometimes in the foreground to see what the set design was like. And uh, it seemed to me like there was space for another set designer. There's great work being done, but it also seemed like there was, there was enough work going around that I would fit in as well. So I was very excited to move across the country. Well, I'm really glad you did. <laughs> so you, you are a lighting uh, designer, you are a master carpenter, you are a producer, you're a writer of plays. Um, what, how does that, all of that, uh, inform your work when you're going to small communities? So uh, I do a lot of work in small communities. I've worked uh, a lot in Isle of Mort on the southwest coast. Uh, I've done a lot of work in Labrador with uh, Nunatuvut. Uh, I've uh, worked in southern Labrador as well and other com communities around the province. And it's, um, it's really essential that when I go in, I become a partner and I can come in and I can help them learn about theater production and putting on a play. And they can help me learn about their community uh, and their stories. So it becomes a collaboration rather than me just bring, coming in and, you know, which, which the very first time I, I put on a show in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador is in a place called Point of War. And they asked me to write a story about the rally, which was a shipwreck. And uh, so I, I did that. I wrote a, a ghost story uh, uh, that was an environmental piece that would take us through the community. But I didn't work with the, the previous director and the previous playwright or the community in developing that. And although the production itself was a, I would say was a success, I wasn't invited back. And I think that's because I didn't, I didn't become a community member. I just mm. became a hired hand and I just came in, I put off the show and, and uh, there was no give and take. It wasn't, they didn't own it. They didn't have ownership of it. And that's really important when I go into a community is it's not my show anymore. It's their show. They, they help me with all aspects of it, with the research, uh, with um, workshopping it and putting it on as well. People from the community are, are some of the actors in it as well as, you know, um, prof professional actors. So what, what brings you to these communities in the first place? Are you, are you looking to support rural development? Is this, or rural economic development? Is the, are you inspired by the landscape? Um, how do you get there and, and why are you there? One of the most important parts of my job for me at MUN is giving back to the community and being a part of the greater community. In the case of Isle of Mort, originally, uh, it was through Munn's uh, Yaffle. So um, uh, my uh, friend who became my co-founder of the Isle of Mort Theater Festival, Blanford Billard from Isle of Mort, who was a tourism officer at the time, he, uh, he approached Yaffle and he asked, uh, he requested someone to write the Anne Harvey story. It had been done previously in various versions, and he wanted a play that could be done uh, in Isle of Mort, you know, smaller cast that wasn't going to bankrupt them. And uh, so we became partners. And uh, I, uh, you know, I visited Isle of Mort many times. I interviewed members of the community of the Heritage Society there, and I went out to Isle of Mort. It was originally a very small island 
in the Atlantic and I went out to the island and um, I uh, did a lot of research at, in the archives at Mon. I went online and found ship registries from actual ships that were, uh, you know, the ship that took the survivors to uh, the, the mainland after the, uh, the shipwreck that the story is based on. And so, yeah, so I worked really closely with them. We used local people to uh, workshop the story to make sure it was their story. And, uh, but nowadays, sometimes I just uh, apply to go in and help as well. So for example, I came across a grant that would, uh, I've, I've left the Isle of Mort Theater, Festivals in Theater Festival in really good hands with Lynn Panting last summer. But this year I came across a grant that would help them improve uh, the number of tourists they have coming through the, through the community. I'm also working on a, a, what we're gonna talk about later, a shadow puppet show, where we're gonna be, I've applied for a grant to go into the communities and teach them how to uh, tell their own stories with shadow puppetry, and it'll become another part of their uh, tourism engagement with the general public. So can you tell, so who is Anne Harvey, just for anybody who doesn't know? So Anne Harvey uh, was, a, uh, was a resident of Isle of Mort. Uh, her father was George Harvey and her brother was Tom. She lived on this small island with her uh, mother and father and brother and her uncle, who was also Tom Harvey. Uh, just a tiny little island in the, in the, uh, in the Atlantic, like I say. Um, I've been out there on a boat a couple of times, really difficult place to get to. She's just a young girl, like a, a, young, a young teenager. Uh, they, she also had a dog, a big Newfoundland dog named Harriman. And, uh, and um, uh, there was a, a ship coming over from, um, from, uh, from the UK, the Despatch, uh, which uh, sh uh, shipwrecked on uh, these rocks called Wreck Rock, of, of all names, of course. I assume they got that name from having shipwrecks. And uh, this was in Burnt Islands, which is, by, by car is not far down the coast, but by boat is unimaginably far. And I, when I went, I went in, you know, a fairly, you know, yacht-sized boat. Like, it wasn't a yacht, but it was like that size. You know, people could sleep in it overnight and, and live in it and stuff. And she rode in the fog down the, the coast through incredible, in, incredibly difficult uh, passageways and with her dog and with her brother and her father in the rowboat as well and she uh, together they rescued 120 people from this uh, from the shipwreck and it was stranded wreck rock is not like it's not like a little wade in from the rock to shore they had to you know send our ropes in the bosun seat and be, be you know transporting people back and forth from the ship and this was when you know I've never been super great at dates uh, I'm gonna say 1626 wow. but that could be okay. Uh, it could be 1826. I would need to so double let's, check. Let's talk so, about the puppets. I mean, yeah. I, I, that scene, of course, seems cinematic to yeah. me. Um, but you are you are making something on the landscape, and um, so it, it's got to be big, I guess. So that that the 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 first play I wrote about Anne Harvey was Song of the Mermaid, and uh, but then I created another play called A Fish Tale, which uh, which is sort of a Doctor Whovian time traveling play. I think we're seeing one of the big puppets here behind us here. That's our uh, that's our codbone. Uh, or soundbone puppet. 
uh, and there's a little seahorse that went by, and then we just start to see the dispatch here, uh, and uh, basically the dispatch I did as a as a big ship. Uh, put lots and lots of lights on the sails and all over it, so it would really glow. And then her her rowboat, we didn't use any figures. We just had uh, the ship come out. We had the rowboat come out, and then we had a strand of red uh, lights moving between one uh, from the ship to the dory to signify that uh, it was the survivors being saved uh, on the dispatch. Um, that, that's, that play, A Fish Tale, which we did in Isle of Mort, we, we, almost all of it is just told through images, and, uh, and it's important moments in the Newfoundland fishery. So when we see the giant cod bone, uh, that's, that's uh, what we see before that, we, we see a, a school of cod coming out, swimming around. One of them is caught, it's gutted, uh, illuminated sound bone is pulled out of it, but then the giant sound bone comes out, and it's represent the, it represents the moratorium, the death of the fishery. So how big are these puppets? Some of them are really big. So like the sound bone is tw about 12 feet long, and at points it's taller than I am, and I'm 5'10". So people are holding parts of it up over their heads? Yeah. Or how does that work? So the sound bone takes three people. Uh, we, I fashioned it after like the, uh, the dragon and lion puppets you see in, uh, in like Chinese New Year parades and things like that. Glue's cap, who we see behind us, uh, or I, the audience sees, um, was actually designed designed by a former student of mine, Nathan Day. Uh, he uh, is uh, Mi'kmaq, and Glooscap, of course, is a, um, a Mi'kmaq god. So I wanted a Mi'kmaq artist to design him. I think he's one of our favorite puppets. He's maybe 10 feet tall. He has, you know, a huge arm span. He's operated by, usually by two puppeteers, one holding the body, controlling one of the arms and then a second puppeteer controlling the other arm. And he fights a giant uh, frog puppet. So Jamie, the, some of these poems, poems, some of these puppets are, well, they are poems too, but some of these puppets are lanterns. Yes, they're all lanterns, yeah. Okay, and some of your poems are shadow puppets. Po <laughs> puppets are shadow puppets. So Yes, that's right. So that's the new project I'm working on, uh, which I'm also working uh, la largely with communities in the southwest coast, but I'm expanding beyond Isle of Mort. I'm still working with Isle of Mort. I'm also working with Port of Basque uh, in the Codroy Valley, and I'm hoping to spread out to uh, Burn Islands and, uh, and Rose Blanche as well. And uh, so, my last season at the Alamort Theatre Festival, um, I helped install a Ghost Walk. We call it Tour de Mort. And it's a, it's a young local storyteller named Dylan Farrell, who's a, in his second year at Grenfell. And uh, he, he had previously regaled us with ghost stories the summer before. And I was like, you know, Dylan, you're a really good storyteller. You guys have good stories. We have to turn this into a ghost walk. So he's, he was totally game into it. He does a, a great job. And uh, so last summer, you know, he's doing his walk. And I was, I was like, you know, I'm, uh, I want to, um, Aaron Goulding, uh, who runs the makerspace at QE2, uh, has a, had approached me. I'd done some projects with him. He wanted me to do something with 3D printing with my class. But I'm on sabbatical. So I was like, yeah, I can't really do any 3D printing this year. Oh, sorry, I can't really do a class this year because I'm not teaching. But uh, here's an idea. Why don't we see what we can do with 3D printing and shadow puppets? 
because wow. yeah, so so you know, it's like uh, we can we can experiment with different types of filament, so different types of plastic. We can experiment with you know how. Uh, the density uh, that we're using, how thick the puppets are going to be, we can scale them, we can see how light we can make them, how strong they'll be. We can experiment with colored filaments, clear filaments, we can paint them and see how much light we can you know, look at, how translucent they are. And uh, so he was like, yeah, right on, let's, let's do that. And I'll eventually do a workshop as well. We're seeing one of them being drawn here on the screen. It, it, my the, uh, illustrator I hired is Mike Fian. He's well known in uh, Newfoundland for drawing for DC Comics. He, he drew Snagglepuss. And uh, so, uh, so the d story Dylan gave me, though, about the Brass Button Man is from Burnt Islands, so the next community over from Isle of Yes, Morris. tell us, tell us you know, a little bit about this guy, because he's totally scary. Yeah. And it seemed to me that, like, shadows are perfect for being frightened. Well, that's why I put two and two together. Is because it was a shadow play, and you know Dylan had all these great you know ghost stories, and so yeah. So the Brass Button Man, he you know the, the, we've adapted it somewhat, but the basic tale is that if you're out on the streets in Burn Islands at night, and uh, it's foggy, the Brass Button Man will silently row up behind you. He'll tap you on the back, and he'll ask for brass buttons. And if you have some brass buttons and you give him brass buttons, you're good. <laughs> You're fine. You get to go those? home to your family. <laughs> well, if you're wearing Levi's, you do. Okay. Yeah. So, and if you don't, then you're dead. Uh, you'll never be seen again. You'll just you'll disappear. So yeah. So we have that gig. We it's one of our gigs. We have planned where you know, some, one of the shadow puppets will be in their Levi's, and we'll have to, their pants will fall down, <laughs> and you know. So what are some of the um, you know difficulties you've had with these? Puppets, like what are, how you you must have since you're inventing, yeah. you're really inventing and and playing with a 3D printer. I'm sure was a blast, but you also had to come up with a show, so yeah. you must have run into problems. And did you work with engineering students? Yeah, we're working with engineering students right now uh, in the uh, puppet processing. Uh, process <laughs> and uh, and uh, so they're so they're taking their drawings and we provide with them with the drawings and they're playing around with them so I'll say you know can you make this thicker can you scale it to this size can you can we move this here can you insert holes here so we can attach the arms and things like of that nature so we're running into we're running into, you know, we run into a few problems with the 3D printing. Um, the things that are 3D printed need structure. So we're, like, we were creating a manipulation rod over uh, just before Christmas. Uh, Aaron and I were actually working on this. I, I drafted it, giving it some loops because it was going to control the jaw, and I wanted a little string to come through it. And, you know, the first pr problem we ran into was uh, there wasn't enough support for this structure, so we had a, uh, Aaron had to troubleshoot that, figure it out, uh, figure out what we needed to do to make it solid and to make it make it strong. The the Landry puppets were a whole other story. Uh, before I decided to do this project, I might have been into the Lantern Festival once years ago and made like a like a box, a box or something. Yeah, um, a long long time ago. I decided to bring uh, lantern puppets to Alamort because they don't exist in outports. I thought it'd be a big attraction. I thought people you know, from the mainland would be like, 
why are there these giant glowing puppets in this little town? And it's also, Alamort is like right at the ferry, so it's super convenient for people to come to. And, uh, but I, I have no training in making them. And it's a problem I have a lot. I, you know, I never really, be holding you up. I never really learned my lesson. But uh, so I was in the UK. I was teaching in Harlow, and I and uh, uh, lantern puppets are really big there. And so I ordered a kit on how to make uh, how to make uh, shadow puppets from uh, from this lantern, this lantern puppet. Sorry, lantern lantern puppet company. They sent me this kit. Told me how to make a moon, like a, a crescent moon, which I needed for the play anyway. So I made that up. I didn't paper, at the, paper it at the time, but I made it up. I made it out of willow. I would soak the willow, and then I would shape it, and I would hold it together using twine. Then eventually I used a special type of tissue paper called wet strength tissue paper, which can get wet and still hold its strength. I used that to cover them with, insert a light, and then I would, I would if they needed to be decorated, I would decorate them. So I would, I would, you know, put colored paper on them or whatever they need or colored lights inside to, to create the look. Now, um, it was really challenging. You know, I made like a Newfoundland dog. I made a huge cat. My daughter always wanted to be in one of my plays and I would bring her out to Isle of Mort. She always wanted to be a cat. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna make this cat puppet. And we worked it into the story and it was really hard to make, but you know, we made it and you know, these giant fish. Uh, I had some other help as well. I did workshops with uh, Halibu First Nation and Halibu Cultural Foundation in Cornerbrook. Um, largely, because uh, Mi'kmaq largely fish, uh, fish salmon, we largely made salmon puppets there. They're the, the pink ones that popped up on the screen earlier. And, because um, I think of salmon as being pink. <laughs> and, uh, and we also made them in Isle of Mort. But in, in Cornerbrook, they also made other creatures, and they made cod as well and stuff. So, Jamie, uh, if you're working with Indigenous people, I know you're, you, um, there's a real negotiation yeah. and a procedure to make sure that uh, all, any kind of storytelling is respected. And, Absolutely. Um, so how, how does that work? How do you, what, what kind of procedures do you do to ensure well, that everybody is happy. Well, with the fishtail, the, uh, first of all, I wanted to tell the story of the Newfoundland fishery. And obviously that, it is part of Canada 150, and obviously that expands far beyond 150 years. You know, our First Nations people have been here uh, who knows how long, you know? Uh, and uh, so I wanted to tell that story. So the first thing I did was I, I, I approached Halibut. I figured out who I needed to talk to, and I told them my idea, and that, uh, and it was a fellow named Mitch Blanchard, uh, and uh, you know we we talked about how we could make it work, what we needed to do. I did some research on s possible stories we could tell. I brought it back to Halibut and to Mitch, and uh, I wrote a uh, I wrote a, a script, which is a very different script because it's mostly visual. There's very little spoken, very very little spoken word in it. Uh, we workshopped it in Isle of Mort, and then we workshopped it in, uh, in Cornerbrook as well uh, at the Halibut offices. Uh, we had community arts members there. We had um, uh, elders there. We had uh, other members of the, Halib the Halibut community, including the chief was there as well. And we workshopped it. We were actually using uh, indigenous actors for the most part that year, but it's only a coincidence because I was also doing a simultaneous project with Nunatuvit. So they were all, the three of the actors we were working with were of Southern Inuit heritage. Uh, 
uh, from another project. And, um, and then I took all the feedback, uh, reworked things, you know, provided it again, you know, made sure elders saw it. And then with that project, I made sure that I, uh, the, uh, well, we, because it's, it's not just me, that we appropriately hired uh, actors of Mi'kmaq heritage. Luckily, uh, Nathan Day, uh, who also made Glue's Cap, uh, is, I think, one of the best actors in the province. He wants to be a chef. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know he can do he can do he's amazing he can do anything he made uh, he made uh, he made Glue's cap he also acted as Blau Mu who was the Mi'kmaq character um, Lynn Panting uh, played a futuristic Anne Harvey a relative of Anne Harvey there's a lot of people in the Alamort area named Anne or Tom or George after who are descendants of the Harvey family and. Um, and we also hired Nora Barker, who's another really, really great actor uh, locally, who's also of Mi'kmaq heritage. And uh, uh, she played um, uh, a number of other roles. She also helped create some of the, the puppets as well. So, uh, and so everything we did we, that had anything to do with Mi'kmaq heritage, we passed through Halibut. So same with the costumes. We ended up using very neutral costumes, uh, some silhouettes. Uh, we used some feathers that were also illuminated. Everything was illuminated in the show if we could. And, um, and we made sure we showed it all was okayed by, by uh, Halibut. Well, that's really great um, to hear that experience because it, it, it helps me think about how I'm going to yeah. um, work with Indigenous people. Yeah. If, if I should be so lucky. Um, uh, what is it, what do you get out of working in those communities and what do the communities get from you or from the experience, I guess? I get a lot of friends. Yeah. Um, I, like, I don't know if everyone knows me in Alamort, but I'd say everyone recognizes me and I, you know, I'm treated like, you know, I'm treated like I'm like the best guest you could imagine. Like seriously, like they're they're just so welcoming. They're glad I'm I'm there, uh, and uh, you know I I work with I work with them, but you know, I, as anyone who does research knows, we and I, I think I was quoted saying this once upon a time by maybe even Janet Hare and you know who's producing uh, this show that uh, you 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 get as good as you give. You know, it's always reciprocate. I'm always learning. I'm always getting opportunities. I'm always uh, being challenged. Um, uh, like when I wrote Song of the Mermaid and I took it to the workshop, I thought it was a pretty cool story. And um, we were workshopping and we had, I'd brought in I think three professional actors and then we were using at least five actors from the Alamort area. And you know, most of them were descendants of George and Anne and Tom. And I, 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 I was telling it, again, because I was an outsider, I was telling it from an outsider's perspective. So rather than telling it from Anne's perspective, which the story had always been told, I told it from the perspective of the first maid on the dispatch. And I, you know, we don't know what happened on that ship on the way over. So I imagined, uh, you know, I took a lot of theatrical liberties. I imagined a, uh, a love triangle on the ship between the, the captain, uh, a male passenger from Ireland and a, f a female passenger who was recently widowed. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the things we did know was that for some reason the captain, 
left the ship after it had been shipwrecked, while most, like all the other passengers were on it, got into this, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but this smaller, this smaller boat, and was hit by a wave that flung the boat up over the ship and smashed into the ship, and he was killed. So one of, uh, one of the women from uh, the Alamort area was like, how does that factor into this love story? Like, why does the captain abandon his ship? He's supposed to be the last person to go down right. with the ship. And so we worked that into the love story where that's where he was, he, he was rejected. And so that was why he got in the ship was because, you know, you love this woman and she rejected him and chose what he considered a lesser man. And so he knew he was going to his death. And, and that's, that's why that happened in, in this story. We'll never know why it really happened. You know, it's confusing. But, uh, or I guess maybe not all captains believe <laughs> they need to <laughs> yeah. die with a ship. But, you know, certainly, you know, there was, and, and if she hadn't been involved as a community member, that that would have that would have never really been explained, and we wouldn't have had as as. And in fact, I think a lot of the love story came from that comment. We wouldn't have never had the that that aspect of 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 the of the drama. Well, from some of the photographs I've seen, you know, from your work, children are running around and people are there, and it's very energetic. And bodies are used yeah. to hold up these beautiful sea creatures and and mythical characters and uh it's it's very it's a spectacle and it's it, it it has to happen in that landscape it seems the story is from the landscape but also um it seems like these you know magical creatures that you've created belong there i should say that lip panting who is sean panting's niece who does did you did fantastic <laughs> A new song. Uh, so uh, Lynn took over the festival last summer. She started working with me the summer before. I'd, uh, I was so excited when she came out to audition because Lynn, of course, is a, uh, besides being a wonderful actor, is also a choreographer. And I really, uh, I was looking for a choreographer for this show. So I was extremely pleased. And one of my, one of the goals that I, we really became co-creators of it. Like, you know, I was responsible for the puppets and the music and uh, certain aspects of, you know, the mise-en-scene, all the things that fill up the stage space. And, you know, she took over other aspects, the movement, the choreography, to trying to tell the story with the puppets and things of that nature. So she's really wonderful. And uh, she came in immediately and found a choreographic pattern that we could follow on stage that was, I don't think you would really notice it, but was always there. So we could slip in and out of it very, very easily. And one of the goals I gave her was I wanted to be able to bring community, community members in half an hour before the show and integrate them into it. She uh, brought community members in 10 minutes before the show and we were able to integrate them. So we, we'd, we, had, we always take some, a couple of professional actors. We also always hire actors from the area. But then we were bringing in lots of you know, kids, uh, tweens, teenagers as well to manipulate these puppets. We took the show to Cornerbrook. Uh, and uh, we did it there. Um, uh, that's actually my daughter carrying that we see every now and then popping up carrying the uh, the uh, the seahorse. That's one of my favorite puppets I made. And uh, and uh, we we must have had like I don't know twenty kids that night. And you know the the puppets have fairly straightforward movements. 
and depending on what they are, if they're a seahorse, they move a certain way. If they're a fish, they move a certain way. And the actors would move, or the puppeteers would move a certain way as mm -hmm. well. So Lynn could teach uh, recruits in, in seriously in 10 minutes, and then they would be in the show. And you know, our, our professional puppeteers would be working with them as well. They'd be following off of them and stuff like that. And uh, Monica Walsh was in that first season, and she did, she did the best fish puppetry. Like hers was just beautiful. So the one that, I, that we tried to model everyone else off of. Okay, well, um, thank you, Jamie. Thank, thank you. you for this conversation, and thank you um, for making these puppets, and thank you for going out into the dark <laughs> with, uh, you know, and illuminating it. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to State of the Arts. Visit us online at hss.mun.ca slash stateofthearts for our latest videos and other enhanced content. All our videos can be found as a playlist on Memorial University's YouTube channel, and you can subscribe to our podcast by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or the App Store. State of the Arts is supported by Memorial's Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences and the Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning. State of the Arts at Memorial Humanities and Social Sciences. Analysis whip smart and professorial smart. People talk about what they know best. Lisa Dooley's as she brings them all together and we try to figure out how to live together better with facts, facts, and research found to impress. So let's talk about the faculty of HSS.